When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Sports Complex of the Horn. Hour two here on the Sports Complex, getting into the NFL honors, getting into the Super Bowl, getting into the Dallas Cowboys defensive coaching carousel of just those coaches. We'll get into all of that, and I want to keep talking about Chip Kelly, too, because I forgot about that story that I read right before the show today, and that is, uh, wasn't on my show sheet, but it is, uh, it's an interesting story. It's just, it's interesting. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but Chip Kelly's that guy, maybe. Maybe he's just that guy. So we'll get on that and more of your text, 512-447-3776, 512-447-3776 is the text line number. Uh, poll of the day who will be Super Bowl MVP and your Super Bowl predictions who is winning what is the final score send those in any other hot takes you got for the Super Bowl send that stuff in your favorite prop bet I love always prop bets I don't have any pulled up right now I got pulled some up uh, for some friends before this show but I, I I don't necessarily have the great prop bets uh up of the you know the national anthem and all that we only got two hours i didn't I didn't feel the need we needed to go too far into that but uh if you've got any great ones of that that you feel is a sure thing. Says you got a sure thing prop bet for our listeners. Let me know on the text line. We'll, we'll, we'll give out. We'll give that out. And everybody can be a winner here. We'd all be winners on the sports complex. Uh, I do want to get. Uh, if you didn't hear, if you're just tuning in the five o'clock hour and you did not hear about Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly is apparently leaving UCLA as a head coach to become the offensive coordinator of Ohio State after Bill O'Brien was leaving the Ohio State offensive coordinator position. He took a month about about a month ago to be the head coach of Boston College. Uh, we all pretty much feel sad for Boston College, but I'm curious why someone would leave a college head coaching position for an, another college offensive coordinator position. Both in the Big Ten now. I, I don't. I, the only thing I can think is that he just disdained L.A. <laughs> That's the only thing I can really think. Uh, if he just did not like what he was going through in the traffic, I, I can get that. I can understand that. Uh, last night we did have the NFL honors happen. Uh, Lamar Jackson does win MVP uh, almost unanimously. First place votes. Josh Allen got one vote for first place. I don't know why you would put Josh Allen on there. Like, I don't think that he's the second place guy. Uh, and Dak Prescott got a ton more second place votes. Dak Prescott's actually your second place in MVP voting. And for everyone who wants to say, we had Dexter said not Dak Prescott winning the MVP. I, I really hate to break it. Uh, Dak Prescott's going to sign a massive extension. This Dak Prescott will probably be, if not top three, top five highest paid quarterback going in to next season. And whether you like that or not, it basically ends up that because of how much his cap space, his cap hit is right now, uh, for them to be able to move on from him with, you know, I don't think they're going to let him sit and go into free agency because then they have to go into a bidding war, which Jerry Jones does not want to do. And you, you don't want to just lose him. 
because then, you know, who do you know? You know, you don't know if you have another guy. So I don't think they're going to let him go. Plus, if they keep him at the cap number they have this year, it's going to be very hard to do the go all in that Jerry Jones said he's going to do because it's it's like a half or more of your salary cap just goes to Dak Prescott if you don't uh, get him to renegotiate his contract, which means renegotiating is signing an extension and lowering the cap hit this year because you're hoping down the line either the cap, the salary cap will jump a bit more or that you know you'll it'll be the end of a run of a dynasty and you'll be able to pay him out that money and and kind of take the hit for a year or two after winning multiple Super Bowls. But I I, I imagine Dak Prescott to sign a very very expensive, decently long extension this offseason. Would be my you know he's the number two in MVP voting. He's winning twelve games a year. He's doing what he needs to be. His stats are really good. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter to the Cowboys. I don't. I'd be very surprised if Jerry Jones does not give a big contract extension this year. So as much you want to hate on him, get used to it because I don't think it's changing for the next four to five years. Was what I would say. So I would say get used to it at this point. You can hope that they're going to draft somebody, but that doesn't seem like a very Jerry Jones move either. Your offensive player of the year is Christian McCaffrey. Uh, He ends up with 39 first-place votes. Uh, Tyreek Hill with seven. Lamar Jackson gets three. Don't vote for quarterbacks in this, guys. Don't vote for quarterbacks. CeeDee Lamb gets a first-place vote as well uh, for offensive player of the year. I'm guessing somebody that – didn't like Dak Prescott, gave that to CeeDee Lamb. I'm guessing that. Your defensive player of the year is Miles Garrett. I think that's the right call as well. Uh, uh, TJ Watt gets 19 votes. Uh, Micah Parsons, 7. Deron Bland gets 1. Max Crosby, 0 first place votes for Max Crosby. Uh, but Miles Garrett, I believe that, that play, there's the one play I always look back at, but he dominated all season long. But the play against the Titans, where they're trying to double him with two tight ends and trying to bring, and he just walks to the other side of the line. And so they they motion both those tight ends, and then he just walks to the other side of the line, and they do it back and forth until they get a delay of game. It's just just peak football. Just peak like that stuff you do in Madden. <laughs> they did it in a real game. Uh hilarious stuff. Uh and then the Texans walk away with both the defensive and offensive rookie of the year. Puka Nakua, the only one who got a couple of votes from CJ Stroud. He gets forty eight of the fifty votes. Uh, C.J. Stroud does for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Will Anderson shares it with a number of other people in the voting. But it's showing that what the Texans did and what we saw in the draft last season where they went all in and went the second and third pick, that they nailed it, at least for the first season. For one season, they seem to nail that, getting the best offensive and defensive rookie of the year in the draft, one and two. That was a great swing for the Texans. It's worked out. They make the playoffs. D'Amico Ryans just misses out uh, getting the coach of the year. Kevin Stefanski wins coach of the year. That's okay. I think I would have been a D'Amico Ryans guy, but I'm a Texans fan, so I would have gone with D'Amico Ryans uh, and turning that franchise around that you know was so bad for so long, changing the culture. And I think you know it depends on what your your style of coaching or what your theory on coaching is. Is did you make two rookies win rookie of the year? Does that get you? Does that help get you and elevate you, or does it being able to go through five quarterbacks and and put together a system and and find the right guys to get into it? Kevin Stavansky wins it, and the comeback player of the year is Joe Flacco. He edges out uh, Demar Hamlin, who came back from the dead but barely played this year, but came back from the dead. So you know, pretty healthy accomplishment on that one. Baker Mayfield comes in at third with ninety three first place votes. Uh, in that as well. The Hall of Fame announced last night too. Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Julius Peppers, Patrick Willis, 
uh, Steve McMichael and Randy Gardisher, and of course, Andre Johnson, the first Texan to get in, and Darren Woodson snubbed again. Would have loved to see him get in, uh, but I think it's a pretty good class going in this season. Awesome to see Steve McMichael, the sixth Longhorn, to get in, and Andre Johnson, the first Texan to get in to the Hall of Fame. Uh, very cool to see him get in. I know wide receivers and a guy that didn't have a quarterback for a long time and switch quarterbacks. Uh, a, a, you know, didn't necessarily have the success that they wanted to have when he was there. Uh, great to see him get in. Uh, let's talk a uh, little Cowboys, and then we'll get back to the text line, 512-447-3776. Who's going to be the MVP, your final score predictions. And uh, if you want to talk college basketball, NFL, anything else you want to talk about, we'll get to it. We'll get back to that uh, right after we talk a little bit about the Cowboys uh, and uh, seeing that the Cowboys have seemed to settle that they will be hiring Mike Zimmer. There's still a few things to work out uh, of all this. Uh, he seemed to be the best choice. I think Mike Vrabel was a little bit more of a, you know, making a choice of a guy who just came off being a head coach. Maybe that transitions a little bit harder. The the power, the control and power between him and uh, uh, Mike McCarthy may be more of a problem. Mike Zimmer, I believe, you know, has a relationship with the Jones. We know that Jerry Jones wanted to get his name in the headlines. He wanted the Cowboys to be in the headlines, so he interviewed Rex Ryan. That's the only reason I think they interviewed Rex Ryan. I get interviewing you know, people from other teams, that makes sense because, you know, maybe you find out some things. Maybe you interview some young guys uh, that maybe really impress you and you may want to look at them in a year or two. Uh, I don't get interviewing Rex Ryan. I think that was just simply so he could get his name in the because that's what Jerry Jones does. He keeps the Cowboys in the news. Uh, but hiring Mike Zimmer, and with that, we also saw the Seahawks have now hired Aiden Dirty as their uh, defensive coordinator who was the defensive line coach for Texas or for the Cowboys last year. We know that Joe Witt Jr. gets hired from that Dan Quinn defense to then run Dan Quinn's defense in Washington. So you now lose a couple staffers there in Dallas. You have other guys that were trying to be poached, but they're still under contract. They're going to be working with Mike Zimmer, at least for the season. And the big question is, when you go into this for the Dallas Cowboys, you're assuming again, I, at least I'm assuming, that uh, Dak Prescott gets a contract extension and then they can start going in to who they will be bringing back and how they'll be building this defense. Uh, Stephon Gilmore has already come out and said that he would like to come back and be a Cowboy next season. So we'll be able to see if he uh, returns and helps out that secondary. That Now if you have Deron Bland, Gilmore, and, uh, Travion, and Trayvon Diggs coming back, that secondary could look better under Mike Zimmer. We'll see how Micah Parsons and Mike Zimmer get along while that contract is being, uh, you know, manufactured and, and, and put together. Uh, what they're going to be able to offer Micah Parsons—that's a big deal. What Mike Zimmer is going to be able to do—he's going to bring a different look to this defense. He has shown in the past that he has done big things, uh, turning around. And you know, I think it'll be a—it may not be as fun of a defense to watch of, you know, trying to get the turnovers and speed all over the place. But I, I think it's a very good hire. I think it's a very good hire and a safe hire, which is kind of what you want from Jerry Jones. After he comes out of a meeting and says, uh, we're going all in, you get a little worried that he may go try and make a splash again and get his name in the news. He makes a smart hire, uh, at least allegedly so far. Sources say that he'll bring in Mike Zimmer. Uh, and I'm curious, too. There is something to be said about Mike Zimmer when he's talking with the players and his reputation. And, and you know, he spent the time with the Cowboys before. But he was just hanging out and working for uh, for Deion Sanders and Coach Prime. And we know how respected he is by a, 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 at least the players. 
from so many different people uh, that he has that connection. And we know, you know, Dion has a connection to the Cowboys as well. So we'll wonder how much that connection of Dion to the Cowboys and Mike Zimmer to Dion and all of that and the players and the talking, uh, if that actually comes into it a little bit as well and recruiting players to come play for the Cowboys. It's an interesting look there. All right. Uh, let's get back to the text line, get your predictions, and we'll get back to uh, the, our, our Super Bowl talk in just a minute. 512 447 3776. Uh, Sam Marcus Russ says, as a longtime Texans fan, I feel, I feel sorry for Boston College. We all do, Russ. We all do. I uh, somewhat disagree with on your take on Pop. He shoots more when Warren Washington is out because he can't. we can't pound it in the paint. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that it's his fault that he's not. I just, uh, when you become, when, you, when Texas Tech becomes a bulk shooting offense, they're just not as good. And that's when we've seen the games where they've struggled. And it can be because they don't have the talent and they don't have the other people because they're injured or sick or whatever else. That may fully be the point. I'm not spending – I have not watched the entirety of every Texas Tech game. I'm, I can tell you that off the top of my off the top. So I can believe that. I, I'm simply saying when you look at when Pop Isaac either is forced to or has become the the bulk shooter, it their numbers go down dramatically and that's when people are able to kind of catch back up with this Texas Tech team that plays pretty tough, plays good enough defense, and their offense can get going. But, you know, you lose a piece or two, and it always slows down. Uh, let's see. Texter says, uh, I'm sure I'm late to the party, but the NFL award show last night was a travesty. If you can come back from the dead and not win comeback player of the year, what are we even doing here? I, I, the reality is I, I personally wouldn't have given it to him. Uh, I think he's won other awards for coming back from the dead. Uh, and I like it's nothing against Demar Hamlin personally. I think it was a great story that he came back and the people that took care of him. Uh, but I think also, I think Baker Mayfield and Joe Flacco being left for dead and then coming back and both being in the playoffs, I, that to me is a better story. That's a you know I get Demar Hamlin came back. He didn't he like if he played well this season, if he was playing a lot of snaps, then Demar Hamlin's the guy because being able to have that you know cardiac event. And then being able to come back and get cleared and and do what you need to do, but he was basically a player that didn't play a ton, and now he's a player that doesn't play a ton. But he died in the middle of it. I get it, but I, I I'd still put Flacco and Mayfield ahead of him just on my ballot uh, of you know uh, of taking out that and just saying yeah that's a cool story, but you know Joe Flacco no one thought he could play, and when he did, it was a joke that we were saying, and he had a magical run for a little bit. I personally would have voted for Baker Mayfield, even though I'm not the biggest Baker Mayfield fan. Uh, I'm not really a Baker Mayfield fan at all, but I would have voted for him simply in the fact that I think, you know, when he's basically left for dead, Carolina, like you got to remember, Carolina had Baker Mayfield running scout team defense. Like, because he just wanted to do something. That was how disrespected and out of league he is. And then he goes to the the, the Rams and they kind of use him a little bit, but they don't keep him and they don't. And he's thought like at that point, he's barely finding a job. And if it wasn't for the fact that the Buccaneers didn't have another option, he doesn't get a shot. And he takes that team and gets him to the playoffs. Personally, that's a comeback for me uh, of a guy who it was thought about a leak. I get he was the number one overall pick. Uh, but that for me, Baker would have been the vote I would have put in. Uh, let's see. And Dexter says, in all reality, who can the Cowboys get that's better than Dak that's already not signed to a huge contract on their own team? Josh Allen. I agree. You're not getting anyone better than Dak. The, the reality of what you could try, this is all you can do is eat it this year. You, But then, you know, that's basically, you say, 
we're going to draft a quarterback. We're going to try and work Trey Lance. And at the end of this season, Mike McCarthy's fired. We're, Dak Prescott's gone. And we're restarting, hopefully, with Micah Parsons staying with us. And hopefully, CeeDee Lamb's all happy and staying with us. Like, I, I, I don't think in the NFL you can really take that big of a risk and not try and compete for a Super Bowl this year, which if you're not re-signing him, it's just going to be really, really hard because you have to renegotiate that contract. And Dak Prescott has all, all, all of the leverage right now. And uh, so that means that it's going to be very difficult for the Cowboys to find another way. Uh, Texter also says, if Gilmore is back, do you think Bland would move back to nickel? Uh, I don't know. And I think, you know, there may be a point. We'll see, too. Gilmore is coming back. He'll be coming back from another injury, uh, another some surgery and, and trying to get back into it. Trayvon Diggs is going to be having to come back from surgery as well. So you may be using Bland in different places. He may fall back into the nickel spot. Uh, and he may, you know, you may be able to ride that if he is a Dan Quinn guy and, and, you know, he feels in that you may be able to actually try and call up the commanders and get some value for him in a trade. If you resign Gilmore, I know Jerome Bland had a great season. It seems silly to get rid of him. I was not as high on draw. I know he set the record for most pick sixes. I get it. He He's a really good ball hawk. I don't know if that fits into what Mike Zimmer does the same way it fits into what Dan Quinn does. And so if you're able to call up Dan Quinn, and say, you know, we don't want to trade in division, but in the same fact, if you're willing to give us a <coughs> uh, first, sorry about that, uh, first round pick for for Deron Bland, and we get another first, are you, you know, a second and a third or something like that, and you get some picks. If you're talking about going all in and you're able to bring back Gilmore, I, I don't know. I think I think I entertain it because I, I don't know if he's going to fit into that Zimmer offense the same way he fit in to the. The Dan Quinn offense, the Dan Quinn defense. I don't know if he'll fit in the Zimmer defense the same way. So I, I'd at least humor it. Now, if they're offering a fourth or fifth, screw it. I'm not doing that. Uh, but if I, if they're going to offer big because he was a defensive player of the year finalist, I, I'm taking the phone call. I'll tell you that much. Uh, let's talk a little Super Bowl, and we'll get back to the text line five one two four four seven three seven seven six. Uh, we got some of your predictions. Uh, I, this is just still, I've like all week long been trying to go back and forth about this, this game because everything all season long, I had the 49ers winning the Super Bowl. They look like the most dominant team. They look like the team who's going to get it done. I thought Baltimore had a really good shot at it, but at a certain point when you saw the play calling against the chiefs, that's why they didn't win. Uh, and I just don't know if they were quite ready uh, this season, hopefully they'll be able to keep a lot of those pieces together and come back and play well next season and get another shot to go after it. Uh, and hopefully Lamar Jackson will stay healthy again. Uh, but we we look at the 49ers. They were 7-2 and two against playoff teams. That's, you know, uh, ignoring Week 17 where they rested everybody. But 7-2 and two against playoff teams this season. They've played well against good teams. And their offense has been electric. And win healthy, and you had two weeks to get everybody rested up for a San Francisco team that beats everybody up. That you had another week to get everybody healthy. That everything should say that. But then you look at the Chiefs, and you just say, "How can I bet against Patrick Mahomes? How can I bet against a guy who continues to play at such a high level in the playoffs?" Where they keep finding a way, where when there was drops and when there was you know false starts and offsides and whatever else he had, 
they kept finding ways to win in and when it mattered in the playoffs. And it's hard. I'll give you a couple pieces that I've really looked at that I think are big keys to the game. I will tell you, I think the run game, we talked about it a little bit earlier this week, the run game, the fact that this season the Chiefs were 25 against the run, they were better in the playoffs, but that's because people just didn't run against them. We know that the, the Ravens only called six run plays, like with running backs. So I think if you keep going at them, especially with Christian McCaffrey, especially with two back sets and running the fullback and and bruising this Kansas City defense and trying to beat a defense, it's tough and Spag's defense is good, but they have a bit of a vulnerability in that run game and make them devote more resources to trying to stop Christian McCaffrey. I think Christian McCaffrey has a good shot to be your MVP of the Super Bowl because of if he runs a ball, that's the way the 49ers can get a win. And then you look at the the early down success rates, the early down success rates for both of these teams because the Chiefs are the seventh on offense, the seventh most effective uh, early down success rate with Pacheco stepping up this season, being able to get Travis Kelsey little passes, they're, they're seventh. 49ers are first. The 49ers have a great early down success rate because you have – Use check and Christian McCaffrey because you're able to run that ball and that Shanahan uh, run scheme. You're able to do that. So they've been able to run the ball. The big difference is on the defensive ends, though, that the Chiefs have the sixth best early down uh, run def- or early down success rate defense, and the Chiefs are 25th. And the Chiefs are going to have to stop Pacheco from putting. Mahomes in a place where he can win because if Mahomes gets into positions where it is him versus linebackers and now your linebacking core is now responsible for trying to cover Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes running for a first down because it's five yards, you're going to lose that. 90% of the time you're going to lose that because either he's going to find Kelsey or he's going to be able to get the space. You can't spread out your linebacking core that little that you're trying to stop Pacheco, trying to stop Kelsey, and trying to stop Mahomes. That defensive line is going to have to play at a higher level for the 49ers, and they've been playing in the last few weeks. That is a big step up. I just don't see many ways that the 49ers, unless this offense is electric running the ball, and unless Christian McCaffrey goes off for you know, 25 to 30 carries and 150, 100-some-plus yards and continues to put him down, and the defense is able to – they're just able to run clock and not give opportunities to get in the end zone, something Christian McCaffrey's really good at. If they're able to get in the end zone, then I think they have a shot in this game. But I keep saying it's going to go back to the Chiefs. I think the big problem is going to be the 49ers are going to get down the field at someone – and once the field starts to collapse and that run game is going to start to collapse a little bit more because the linebackers and safeties and everybody can move up a little bit more, I think they're going to have to kick too many field goals and the Chiefs will be able to open it up a little bit more. Rasheed Rice will have a good game. And Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey just know too much uh, to, to do it. And once you get in that secondary for the 49ers, they can do some real damage uh, for the Chiefs. I just don't have a way that uh, I mean, I know the way the 49ers win. I just don't see it happening. Unfortunately, I'm kind of rooting for him because Kyle Shanahan, I, I'd like him to get one. I've been a fan of his for a while. I know he's a UT guy too, and that helps out. Work Rob Babers is a friend of his. I'd like him to get one. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that's not the pick I have. Right now, I'll tell you my pick is the Chiefs winning the game 27-23 is what my pick is. Uh, I think it just comes down to the Chiefs trying to continue to run it but not being able to get that pass into the end zone 
and Brock Purdy either throwing picks in the end zone or not trying to force it and not being able to get the ball in, even with Debo and and Chris McCaffrey. That shortened field, if you don't have the explosive plays, that's really going to hurt the San Francisco team. Tell me what you think on the text line, 512 447 3776. We got to take a break. We'll come back. We'll hit the text line up again and play some sound. Uh, go behind the burn orange curtain. Why don't we do that uh, when we come back here on the Sports Complex and the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on the Horn. Back on the Sports Complex on a 5-1-2 Friday playing local music. You can go check out around town this weekend. This is Chris Duarte Group uh, playing Saturday at Saxon Pub. Chris Duarte is awesome. Tar Slinger, been around town for a long time. I remember we played, uh, the band I was working for played with him at a festival, I think in Victoria. I think it was Victoria, Texas. We were playing this festival. And, uh, and there's a mariachi band that's playing like before everybody played. And we're all backstage. We just see him run after one of the mariachi guys. And Chris goes over and talks to him. And then all of a sudden, we see a mariachi guy taking his pants off. And Chris Duarte puts them on and gives him some cash. And he goes out and plays. He's like, oh, they were cool pants. I had to have them. <laughs> just crazy guy. Amazing guitar player. Uh, tons of fun every time you can see him. He's playing Saturday at Saxon Pub. If you want to go check out Chris Duarte group, uh, really good stuff. Uh, text lines open 512-447-3776. 512-447-3776 is that text line. Dexter uh, says, release Dak and start over. If you release Dak, you are paying him, I believe, 50-something million dollars in dead cap. So basically, uh, of over a third of your cap space is completely gone. You're, you're not getting anything for it. You also then don't have a quarterback. I, I think that may be the worst move. I know people don't like Dak Prescott, but it would be the dumbest move you could do to release Dak Prescott, and you still have to pay him. Like he gets guaranteed money uh, that he has, so you're not getting out of it, and the dead cap will kill you. Uh, you cannot do that. That's not an option. Now, you can try to sweet-talk him into a two-year thing where you know it's the money goes out and you spread the money out or you know re, renegotiating his contract and believing in himself and all this other stuff. You can try all of that. You can try and... Uh, you know, spread the money out over the next few years, and it's still going to be a ton of money. Uh, there's different ways you can try to get around the fact of re-signing him to a long-term extension, uh, but th- they're just not really – they're not viable ways to compete for a title in the next two years or three years, and that's the reality. Is if, you, if you're Super Bowl-bound and Jerry Jones says he is and that's the whole thing, that we're getting to the playoffs, we're 12-win teams, we need to get there, that, he's not I – I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And my man Nate says, I like that take, Patrick, which why I listen to you, buddy. I will throw this. I looked in the break at Deron Bland's contract. 
I did not realize he. I knew he had a team friendly contract. It is extremely team friendly. He's making about a million dollars a year for the next two seasons. Uh, which again, that's one of those pieces you're probably not going to re-sign him in two years when he becomes a free agent, uh, just because monetarily, you know, if he continues to play at a high level, so either he's going to play at a high level and go somewhere else, uh, and where he is is where people can use him better. Uh, but whatever you're going to do. Uh, you know he's extremely team friendly. Which if you're if you're at Commanders again and you need to make a splash, giving up a first round pick for a guy making really little money for a couple seasons, and you can go spend money elsewhere, not a bad move. I'm just saying, just saying. I'd call and I look. I'd call up other teams too and see if they want to get in on a defensive player of the year finalist uh, and see who wants to offer the most. I just know that Dan Quinn would probably be interested in it. Joe Witt Jr., the secondary coach, would probably be interested in it. Depends on what the price is, but I, I like it. I like it. Their texter says, sounds like a gambler. I look, I, I I don't gamble a lot. I gamble with other people's money. I tell people what I believe in. Uh, I don't gamble a lot because uh, it, it all it, it there's times where it's hurt the game because I feel like it's I'm being punished. <laughs> it was because I picked it. It's wrong. Uh, but no, I look. I, I if you have a different take too, I'd love to hear what you're. If you think I'm crazy and the, the 49ers are going to win, uh, I just keep trying to look at it, trying to figure out if the Chiefs are going to win, uh, uh, if the, the 49ers are going to be able to win, and I just don't see it. And right now, the 49ers are favorites. So if the Chiefs winning, the number, the spread doesn't matter anymore. If I'm saying the Chiefs are winning, I just take the money line on that one. Uh, let's play some sound from Hook Him Up with Ian Robbie. Play a little bit behind the burn orange curtain. We'll come back, get more to the text line, 512-447-3776. Who will be the Super Bowl MVP? What is your final score prediction? And if you want to talk uh, Cowboys or Longhorns or anything else, send that in as well, 512-447-3776. Let's do a little replay from Hook'em Up here on the Sports Complex. All right. I want to talk about uh, Sark's admiration for actually the, uh, the the McShanahan coaching tree a little bit and the influences that it's actually had on his offense, the ones that we watch uh, here at Texas, because, you know, Sark's been really open about how close they are. He's been really open about how influential uh, that coaching tree is on his offense. And there are some commonalities, some things that are key, vital concepts, principles of the Shanahan offense that Sark takes to heart. Um, and one of them is uh, pre-snap motion, right? Pre-snap motion is big in the in the Shanahan offense. It's actually one of the, the key staples. And after following Shanahan in Atlanta, Sark started to implement a lot of pre-snap motion in his offense. Now the numbers are ridiculous. I mean, Sark is probably around 55, maybe 50, between 55 and 60% pre-snap motion rate, which is actually be low considering the guys on the Shanahan coaching tree. I mean, they are, hell, you know, uh, Miami is Mike McDaniel's at 82%. Uh, Sean McVay's at 70%. Um, hell, Shano's around 70 something percent. You know, my, my, uh, Matt LaFleur is at 64%. I mean, th- these guys are using a ton of pre snap motion. My prediction is that Sark's going to use it even more coming up this season. But after he followed Shanahan, that was one of the things that trying to transition that Atlanta offense from the Shanahan offense, his offense, Dan Quinn insisted, hey, man, I want to keep a lot of the same principles because it works. Remember, they were the best offense in the league that year. Uh, having MVP and Matt Ryan, so they really wanted to keep the offense as you know as, as similar as they could. And with that, I think it was actually a blessing in disguise for uh, Sark because he kind of went down the rabbit hole of studying that offense. 
and I think he started to siphon some ideas that would forever change his offensive philosophy. And pre-snap motion is one of them. And you go look at the top five of top four teams in the NFL at pre-snap motion rates and shifts. I mean, they're all from the Mick Shanahan coaching tree. And Steve Young, Steve Young does a great job, man. He does a great job of really describing a lot of the um, the the nuances of this offense and what makes it so uh, unique. And he's he was talking about the motion at one point uh, on Super Bowl Row. And Brock, can I have his clip ready, please, if you don't mind. And I think it's about thirty seconds. But listen to him describe what the advantages are to using this motion, which um, really prior to Shanahan teams weren't using it as much. Now he's using shuffle motion. He's using you know using the cheat motion. Because of that, they've decided you know they kind of revolutionized the way their offenses are structured based on motions and shifts prior to the snap. Here is Steve Young. He uses motion a yeah. lot. And in motion, motion makes a defense speak to you. Yeah. He wants as much information out of you before he snaps the football. He'll do it with formation. He'll do it with different people in different spots. He asks his players, Christian McCaffrey, can you line up at receiver? Yes. Yeah. Can you line up in the slot? Yes. Can you line up? Off the line at tight end. Can you line up in the eye? Can you line? And because of that, he can now. Because defenses all go like, "Where's Christian McCaffrey?" Okay. Oh, I got to do certain things when I see that. So he has the defense speak to you, yes. and give you as much information as you possibly can get from them before the line, before the snap. And what is Brock Purdy's best quality? Taking all that information, give that to me because every inch of that, I'm going to make you pay. You. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all about forcing the defense to reveal itself in some way um, and finding out the rules of the defense so you can violate them. And Sark does it really well, too, and he does a lot of it with uh, motions and shifts, and that, that's one of the key principles that uh, unites uh, these offenses. And even Sark's not actually from the McShanahan coaching tree. You can almost say that he's a – He's a stepchild of it. <laughs> I mean, like he's uh, he's definitely a, he's an admirer of it from afar. Something else too, since we're talking about like the commonalities between these offenses and what's what's been fluent Sark's offense. When nobody nobody uses more two tailback sets and more um, more two uh, twenty one personnel, I should say twenty one personnel, twenty two personnel than. Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he uses it 40% of the time. He's running two backs out of the backfield. Now, it's not two tailbacks. It's Kyle Juszczyk. He's a fullback, but he's a very unique, unconventional fullback. Uh, so between him, him and McCaffrey, they're in the backfield 40% of the time out there together. Sometimes it's 21, two backs, one tight end. Sometimes it's 22, two backs, two tight ends. And if you look at uh, Sark's you know, time in Atlanta following him, that was one of his conundrums, right? How do I transition this? Mostly this is a, an offense that runs two backs most of the time, or half the time at least, and I am a spread offense guy, right? I, I run spread offense. I'm a modern spread, a pro spread offense, essentially what Sark was running prior to um, getting there to Atlanta. And I think he his, his spin on trying to transition it from that two back offense to his spread offense was the pony package. He started to use Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman instead of a traditional fullback, which Shano uses. He uses two tailbacks, and it really and it had some success with Atlanta. I mean, they actually made some plays and were able to really, I think, give themselves a little bit more balance 
um, in Atlanta with those two tailbacks. Now, we've seen that even at Texas, Jim used the pony package sparingly. I think he should use it more. You guys know that. Um, but he took a lot of those concepts from his time in Atlanta trying to transition that offense from that Shanahan offense. And then even with Brennan Marion bringing in the go-go offense, which is a two-tailback offense. It is a West Coast uh, passing game with a triple option run game. That essentially is something else that Sark added to his pony package. We even saw it this year um, a little bit more. So I, I, I think you're going to see that more with Texas because he likes to play those running backs. It's so successful. It's easily your most explosive, most efficient, and I, your most uh, effective personnel package you've had here at Texas since Sark's been here. I'm not saying that's a direct connection to, to the Shanahan, um, uh, at least the Shanahan influence, but I do think that's where he got the inspiration for it. And he was almost like I said, he was forced to do it because Dan Quinn was like, well, you can't just run your offense. We just have the best offense in the league. I need you to learn some of that Shanahan offense. And I think it may be one of the best things that ever happened to Sark because it really did change his overview of offensive football. Uh, we talked about yesterday condensed and compressed sets. Shano loves it, right? Use more condensed and compressed sets than anybody else. That's the, the width of a formation. He's at 19.9 yards, which is the, uh, the, the I guess, the, that is the, 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 in terms of the width of the formation, that is the shortest width of a formation um, of any team in the NFL. He uses a lot of condensed and compressed sets, and so does Sark. Sark loves condensed and compressed sets because, number one, it makes you less predictable. Spread offenses are more predictable. Uh, when you get into a compressed, condensed set, you force the DBs to have to be forced run defenders, and cornerbacks don't want to have to defend the run, but they have to. Um, you make cornerbacks and DBs have to play with outside leverage because there's so much space out there, so you know exactly how they're going to play leverage-wise. Um, and DBs have to play off, right? They have to play off because you can get picked and rubbed because everybody's so bunched in together. So it, it, you, you basically get to dictate terms, and that's what he's about. He's about his channel's about dictating terms, and he's about uh, being able, trying to reveal – are trying to get information from the defense, gets them to reveal uh, their assignments, reveal the rules of the defense so that he can violate them. And Sark does a lot of similar things when he's lining up in those compressed and condensed sets. So those are just like three or four low concepts, but I think it probably goes deeper than that. I mean, Sark has talked about studying Sean McVay's offense and going to L.A. to talk to him, talking to, you know, guys like Matt LaFleur and going, you know, bringing Shano in for coaching clinics to talk to him about his offense. I think it probably goes even deeper. That's just on the surface what I can see. Good stuff there from Hooking Out with Ian Rob uh, some good stuff uh, explaining how Sark's offense uh, could look a little bit more like Shanahan's next year and something to watch for in the Super Bowl. Hopefully uh, the 49ers look pretty good because that would mean that uh, Texas, you know, in your eyes may look pretty good. All right, we're going to take our last break. We'll come back, uh, finish up on the text line, 512-447-3776. If you've got a prediction of who wins uh, Super Bowl MVP, if you've got a prediction of final score, send that in now. Uh, we'll get to those before we get out of here. Uh, and wrap things up here on the Sports Complex on a Friday afternoon here on the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons only on the Horn. All right, we're going to wrap things up here on a Friday. I hope everybody has a really, really fun time watching the Super Bowl this weekend and getting ready 
and watching some basketball. Hopefully, Texas takes care of business against West Virginia. We have a good Saturday. Uh, last text. They won't do it. They won't win with Dak. Cap hit doesn't matter at this point. Dead cap or not, Jerry is delusional. I like sixty million dollars this season. Look, if you want that, still keep him. Draft a rookie, get and get a and get a uh, keep Trey Lance and try it out. But you don't cut him. You you keep him. If you're paying him, you might as well keep him. By the way, Jerry's going to resign. We just, we just know that because going all in means resign. All right, uh, we got to get out of here. We'll be back Monday to talk Super Bowl, college basketball, and a whole lot more. Uh, until then, be kind, be safe, keep your underwear clean, and we'll see you right back here for more of the Sports Complex.